how would you describe self-inquiry? Do you think certain people are chosen? Do you worry about anything? Are you worried about the future? And what do you feel is the is the solution? How important is it to live an authentic life? You're my first, um, I guess, remote guest. Usually uh, we've got people in this sauna behind me. We're, <laughs> we're sweating it out. The last person I had in was was a friend of yours, uh, Jack Cornfield. Oh, yeah. So I had Jack in there. He he also he sends his love to you. Oh, thank you. You mentioned my, my plumage hair here. He said he had a nickname for you a long time ago as a hydrangea or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> really, I didn't. Know. Oh, okay. That's what he's doing. Maybe that was just his own. <laughs> he said your well, hair was, was be- a beautiful flower. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what, Gangaji, I'm so happy you know that I could speak with you. One question, I'm I'm just curious. What are you excited about these days? I'm really excited to still be. <laughs> I'm 80 years old now. I turned 80 this uh, summer, so I really treasure life. You know, I'm. I'm not excited about a lot of things politically and globally and and things that are happening here in Ashland, the homeless issues. But under that, you know, and penetrating everything is I'm just really happy to be Mm. and happy Mm. you are. (laughs) You know, we met several years ago. I was looking at actually I was looking at our pictures. If you remember this, this hug we shared. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Still beautiful. feel it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is uh, all oh, three yeah. of us. So awesome. That was right here, right here <laughs> yeah. in Ashland. I need to visit you again because you're, you're, yes. so, you're the energy. You're so, such an incredible teacher, human being. And mm. I want to share your, your story with the listeners. So I'd like to go back, you know, from the mm. beginning. Tell us, tell us a little bit about your journey in search of, of freedom. Well, really, initially, I was just searching for happiness because I I felt myself to be miserable. <laughs> I was young. This I was 11 years old, and I my family life was a mess, and I didn't feel like I had any friends. And, and I recognized, I think this is the key piece, that I was unhappy, and I wanted to be happy. And so I somehow made a resolution to do whatever was needed to get happy. Hmm. And that meant be friendlier to people, speak their name when you say hello. I mean, there were techniques that you could learn. How to win friends and influence people, those (laughs) uh, those tricks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it works. You know, people started smiling back and I did get much happier. But of course, that was just the the really, really top of the wave that underneath that was suffering. And I wanted to be free of suffering. I couldn't have verbalized that then. But then... Forty years later, I met Papaji because I was still suffering. I mean, yeah, I was still suffering. I had had great experiences, and my life was good. I was in a good marriage. But underneath that, I was, I guess, afraid of some return or regression to a hell realm. And I knew that I was incomplete somehow. I prayed for a teacher, never having wanted a guru or a kind of permanent teacher. I had been with several teachers by then. I was living in the Bay Area, California, and it was great. And there were lots of teachers coming through. And I had gained a lot of good experience and knowledge from those. But 
I was praying for something deeper, something that would really show me what I just hadn't seen. As good as my life was, there was still an undercurrent of suffering and bondage to that suffering. <laughs> so I, I met Papaji miraculously, and the first thing he said, he threw open his arms, you know, he said, welcome, come in, what do you want? <laughs> and I said, freedom. <laughs> I wouldn't have necessarily verbalized it that way, but that's what he drew out of me. And he said, good, you're in the right place. Just come in, sit down, don't do anything. So since I had been trained to meditate by that time, I sat down and did nothing, which to me meant, you know, I started watching my breath, I was dropping into a meditative state. And he said, no, no, that's fine, but that's not what I'm talking about. Stop that too. Wow. So yeah, wow. I really, I felt a wave of terror go through me. And I really remembered that time when I was 11 years old and miserable, and I had a fear that I would regress back to that state, that miserable, unhappy state, if I didn't do something to keep, keep me up, or keep me free of negativity, or, or however I was phrasing it. And I felt I would lose everything I'd gained, and I told him that. And he said, that's right. You have to lose everything you have gained, so then you can see what is always here, and has always been here. Mm. I recognized him as my teacher, and so I, I did. I stopped. Mm. Now paint the paint the image. So this was in India when you met Papaji, yeah. and so yeah. you're you're walking through the door, and you said he's kind of got the open arms. What did the what yeah. did, was it his house that you? It was his house. It was, you know, a funky little house on a little lane. It was before he moved to the bigger place once satsangs got really large. And he lived there with his wife and his son and his son's wife and his two grandchildren and a very small space, probably as big as this living room. But in India, you know, it's like painted blue and yellow and absolutely clean. And he, they served us beautiful tea and Swedes, and I loved his family. They were a part of it, serving him, mm. serving us. <laughs> mm. And what made, so you said you had, you had other teachers, you had meditative teachers, maybe Vipassana as well? Did you get into? I did a little Vipassana at the end of my search. It was primarily Tibetan Buddhist visualizations and prostrations and mantra. Okay, okay. And so what what made... Uh, Papaji and, and the pointings different from anything else you had heard? Well, that, it was different from anything else I'd heard. Later I heard there was Dzogchen, which is a, a part of the, I guess it's Tibetan Buddhist, sort of no-mind, non-dual teachings, but we never heard any of that. It was very dualistic. And that's fine, That I, I didn't have any problem with that. I, I just had never heard what Papaji said, that everything is already here. Everything you're searching for is already here. No teacher had ever said that to me. It was all about what you need to do and how long it would take and maybe lifetimes it would take and how you had to persevere and work hard and you would fail. And It was a negative, I, and I, un, I can't even understand that because they certainly didn't want people to take it casually. 
But I think by the time people got to Papaji, most of the people I met anyway had been through different teachings and had succeeded and failed and succeeded and failed and succeeded, but the success was not enough that there was still some yearning that really hadn't been addressed in all of the beautiful experiences that I had had and other people I spoke to there. And so he was like an oasis, he, he is an oasis, of just, you know, just welcome and drink here and you are it. It is already the truth of who you are. And it was like, yes, but what do I have to do to, to get that or to stay there or to know that? And it's like, just stop, just be still. It's already here. The search, which is so beautiful when it appears, it appeared for me, you know, in a sort of primitive form, a search for happiness, but then it became a search for God or search for unity or search for peace. It's really beautiful. And the practices that we do that, that are going toward that true aim are beautiful. But because of the nature of our minds, we start to own that, and it becomes part of the superego. And we move from inflation, that I got it, I'm enlightened, I'm free, I'm it, to deflation. You know, I lost it, I'm miserable, I'll never be able to keep it, somebody save me. So that, that kind of dichotomy was what I was experiencing when I met Papaji, and he, he just said, stop. I actually felt from him, different from I had felt from any other teacher, the absurdity of of trying to get what I absolutely want to be permanent, but if it's not already here, it won't be permanent. <laughs> so, you know, logically it made sense too. It was emotionally, it was terrifying to me. Mm. It's a leap. So I... I um. The last guest I had on, as I mentioned, Jack Cornfield, and I asked Jack, I said, who, who are you? And uh, he, he said, I don't know. That was the first thing. Then he went into consciousness. But I want to ask you that question. Uh, who, who are you? Who are you? <laughs> All of it. I don't know, and I know completely. The totality. Before, during, and after. Mm. We... um. We live in a world, I think, of it was a very material world, uh, mater yeah. material, materialistic. But I think what you what you point at is something beyond the the material. Many spiritual traditions and even you know uh, therapies kind of focus on perfecting the person, making the 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 person become or or ego uh, a better version. But you point to something else a technique called self-inquiry that points that, that points to something beyond the person how would you describe self-inquiry to someone who's never heard about it or maybe even to a three-year-old how would you describe it well really i would say especially you bring up a three-year-old it's the natural curiosity that we have before we learn in first grade or kindergarten before we learn this is A and this is C and this is a man and this is a woman, this curiosity to learn. And 
the central aspect of that curiosity is, who am I? You know, what is this? Where am I? You see a baby, you know, looking around, and it's this beautiful intelligence. And, and we get lots of answers to that question. Well, who am I? What is this? You are this person, you're a boy, you're a girl, you're good, you're bad, you're our child, you belong to this country. I mean, as you know, it goes on and on, and it gets very subtle and esoteric, too. The older we get, we get more and more definitions. Really, when you ask that question, who am I? That is the question that we are still asking, usually, in our seeking. Only by now, it gets cloaked in all kinds of things. Where can I find enlightenment? How can I be a better meditator, a better person? All legitimate questions, but really not the core question. And so, in our society, we often fear the core question because it sounds selfish, for one thing. Who am I? Well, who cares who I am? There are a lot of problems around. But even in solving those problems, we're essentially seeking some kind of true identity. Self-inquiry is about really questioning identity and throwing the question back rather than receiving answers about who I am, a, a Buddhist or a good student, a black man, a white woman, whatever it may be, throwing it back into the core of experience. And Papaji would say, and this was really helpful for me, when you ask, when you inquire, what is here, or who am I, or what is real, you have to look for what is always here because all the rest is mind-generated, and it can be elaborately generated and beautifully generated or horrifically generated. But the, I don't want to even say simplicity, because it's not simplicity in the way we understand it, because it's a depth of being. But it's a presence that is so familiar that we actually overlook it or discount it or dismiss it. And so it's always in the background. But the question, inquiring, who am I, what is real, what is true, actually shifts the background to the foreground so that your mind receives the answer of, oh, but, but this is always here. And it's like, yes, and that's the beginning of really inquiring into what is always here. And is that you? Does that make sense? I mean, it's impossible to put into words, of course. Oh, yes. mm, it's beyond senses, right? It's 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 something. <laughs> <laughs> it's something else. <laughs> can't really. Yeah, it's ineffable. It's it's incapable of being uh, described in words. Yeah, you can't grab it. It won't be objectified. The minute you objectify it, I am me. That's a, that's an image, you know, and a name. And we've been taught that, or we've seen that in a mirror, and we said that's me. So this is, and that's subject to be broken or lost or changed. So it's really a, a curiosity into the changelessness that has always been here. Somebody listening might say, "Okay, this is this is nice, but how how is this going to really help me in my job in my life? What's the point of it?" It, it's a, it may not be for everybody. You mentioned uh, ego strengthening, I think, and, and making the ego better. And I think that's a legitimate phase of 
of inward work. It's like if you want to be happy or you want to be successful or you want to feed your family or whatever it may be, that you want to support your self-image or your ego in being strong and being able to deal with setbacks and like a baby learning to walk you know has to fall a lot and if it gets good encouragement it it gets up and and finally we are made to walk and so we walk and really i guess my point here is that finally we are made to to know who we are the journey of that i have no idea who's ready to hear it or not ready to hear it's what Papaji told me when he asked me to go out and share this, and I said to him, whoa, I don't even know what I would say. I don't know what the teaching is. I don't, I'd never read Ramana. I was aware of him, but I hadn't read him. And he said, that's good. Then you will just speak from your own experience. And the people who come to you, who are attracted to you, are drawn to you, are ready to hear that or otherwise they aren't attracted, they aren't drawn. So I have found that to be true now over these 30-something years of meeting with people that for some people it doesn't make sense and they aren't interested and they leave. And I, I can support that and understand that. And some people without having any spiritual training or spiritual identity just recognize, oh my God, that's my question. What is real? What is always here? What is true? And so then we have a conversation like you and I. <laughs> Do you think certain people are chosen for this? I, I have no idea. Not really, you know. I think that maybe there's a maturation of the brain so that whether that's experience or you're born that way or, you know, there, I would think there would be lots of components. But but we have stories from all over where the people from the worst circumstances and people from the best and all in between have waked up to the truth of themselves. So I'd say it's a mystery. It's a mystery I don't know the answer to. You know, to live a life where, you know, the, the mind is in charge, the ego is in charge, is... Uh... Is, is is life as a as a prisoner you know they say the yeah. the mind is a, a great servant but a horrible master um and this pointing i found to be um a shortcut i think there's like a there's a long path and then there's a short path and for me yes <laughs> <laughs> that's what papaji said he said this uh, is the direct way home uh, the direct way mm, the immediate way mm. and that's like whew, you know, can be terrifying because we like all of our props and I was relying on my props and I have nothing against props because they had been useful to me and I appreciate that they are useful for people, but there's an immediacy where you can recognize, uh, I had never heard anyone say it before Papaji, but there is a direct way home and you don't have to be healed to go home, because in fact you already are home. You just have to be willing to recognize where home is and to surrender to it, for the mind to surrender mm, yeah, and, and be the servant. That's what uh, Nisargadatta Maharaj said. He said, having never left the house, you have been searching for the way home. You never left. Um, <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> I, I, I love this feeling of home, this idea of home, coming back, going back home. Mm. 
because we, like I said, we, we live in such a, uh, an externally driven, driven world of constantly going out. I think this pointing allows us to come back home and live an authentic life. Gandhi, when asked by a journalist, uh, they asked Gandhi, they said, well, sir, what, what is your message? And you know, he said, my life is my message. Yeah. How important is it to live an authentic life? It depends on what you want. If you want home, home is the authenticity of who you are. And so there has to be a willingness to be naked to that, to not know. Before you can really inquire, before you can discover, you have to really wipe the slate clean. That's the, the open-armed, surrendered, not knowing, but fully alert. Not, not knowing like we fall into a daydream or unconsciousness, but just this presence. And that can be perceived as a terrifying state, can be perceived as death, because the image of who we are does die, and the thought of who we are does die, and that's who we think we are, so it's terrifying. So that's what takes the, the courage, and that's where the mystery is for me of who's ready for that. And it's usually those people who have either just hear this and know it's to be true, or have run into the wall enough, or have had enough that they recognize the emptiness of having enough. And they really want to know who they are. What is being enough? What is being? Mm. Who am I? You know, I, I go back and forth. Let me let me be honest with you and vulnerable. I go back and forth with realizing that, you know, all is well and unfolding as it should. Mm. And yet there's also a a desire to want to um to heal uh mm. the world, to to help mm. people out of their their suffering. Uh and it's a it's a bit of a do you do you deal with this or is this Yes. Yeah. I think there's room for that, you know. It's not uh, leaving the human or the human family or the family of the earth family. Mm-hmm. So that I absolutely, uh, you know, am anguished sometimes at the suffering in the world or the suffering down the street. Mm-hmm. That's just the nature of, of us as, as human beings. There is, hopefully, compassion there. People used to come to Ramana and they would tell him their stories of... Um, heartbreak in their homes of losing a child or losing a farm or just and he would weep he -hmm. would weep with them so this is not an invitation to some kind of stoicism this is more an invitation to be fully at home and the totality of home then is everything and everybody Mm -hmm. i love that (laughs) one question the female experience in this world is different from the male experience mm. when it comes to just the biological, the harm, the hormonal balances. And I'm just wondering, actually, this is this is a question from my partner. She was wondering, how do you deal with the hormonal fluctuations and still maintain a, a level of presence? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm through with most of those hormonal changes. <laughs> and actually, I was ending that as mm. I 
it's interesting. I was talking to somebody, and I mentioned this 11-year-old, and I was unhappy. That's right when the hormones were beginning to kick in, and there was a whole arc of that. And then when I met Papaji, I was almost 50, so that's right as they were okay, <laughs> wrapping okay. up. So, but in terms of man and woman, I actually feel I'm as much man as I am woman. My body isn't. I don't have the strength. But I feel I'm more both man and woman. And I find men and women beautiful. And I don't, and I've sort of always felt that. When I started growing, probably at 11, and my breasts started growing, it's like, oh no, now they'll know I'm a girl if I'm out playing. Because I was a tomboy. So I was identified with that. And then I identified very much with being, you know, a teenage girl and a, a woman. And those are all the identities. And that, that identity is very close because that's our biological identity. But there's something deeper than that that has, you know, is free of that. And then there has to be respected, though, because this body does like disease or hormonal fluctuations mm. or sickness, and then finally death. That's what mm. the body is subject to. And mm. so, like the suffering in the world, we can be compassionate mm. and serve and, and tend those without identifying completely with mm. them. Oof, oof. Oh, I just let that sink in tend and serve without being completely identified with them. That's beautiful. <laughs> you actually are a better servant that way. Mm. Mm. Why is that? Because you're not attached. Because your energy, you know, you're freed up. You're not, oh, this is horrible. This should change. Or when will this change? And how can I make this change? It's like, yes, this is horrible. What can be done? You know, there's a, a shift in the availability of your attention when you're not identified all the way. I mean, there's some identity. I mean, I know that I'm a woman. I know that Gangaji is a woman, and I like that sometimes, and I'm not thrilled with it at other times. But deeper than that, that's not my identity. That's like my essential cloak of being. But I am naked underneath that, and I'm naked underneath man, and naked underneath woman, naked under form. So that there's just this vibrant life experiencing itself in this way. Hmm. I love that. And so you're saying the many movements that we have in our world today, uh, i.e. The, like, a, like the feminist movement could be more successful if there was no, identi- no deep, rigid identification as female. <laughs> I didn't say that. You said that. I said it. I said it. <laughs> with a, with a question that. mark at I don't the know end. that that's true. You know, I, okay. I'm just really speaking from my own experience yeah. and inviting anyone who's interested to try on that experience. I know that it takes identifying with yourself as a woman or as a black man or as a poor person or as a rich person. It takes that to actually see what is there and to feel the life of that and to see where there is injustice and where there can be service. So I'm not anti-identification. It's more that there is is something under-identification. Okay. Both and. Yes. Yeah. 
good. That's what you said. <laughs> Gangiji, one of my favorite stories and books from you is is the the diamond in your pocket. I wonder, would you be able to share that story with me? Because I think it's it's so beautiful. Um, it's so powerful. And uh, yeah, I'd love for you to for you to tell that. <laughs> there was a, a diamond merchant on a train once, and he knew that there were a lot of thieves on the train, so he was really worried about his uh, diamond being stolen. He went on his trip. He thought he had it in a secure place, and then he got to his location and he realized his the diamond had been stolen, mm. and it was gone. And how could this happen? His diamond had been stolen. And he saw this man go by who was a known thief. And he ran after him and he said, you stole my diamond. Mm. Where is it? Give it to me. And the thief was so brilliant, so smart. And he said, I didn't steal your diamond. He said, check me. And the man checked all of his pockets and every place he could have hidden it. And he didn't have it. And then the thief was shaking the man's hand, and as he shook his hand, he patted him, and he walked off, and he walked off with the diamond. And the man saw that and went running after him. He said, you do have my diamond. How did you, where did you hide that? How is it possible that I didn't, I searched your pockets. I knew I didn't have it. Where was it? And he said, I had it, and I hid it. I hid it in your own pocket because I knew that was the last place you would think to look. Mm. And Papaji used to tell this story in a much more straightforward and brilliant way as an example of the last place we look for the end of suffering is right here where we are. It's so true, you know, the last place we look is within us. That's right. <sighs> and the thief, you know, is the ego. And when the ego is finally subdued, it has to return the goods because it's... It's made to be subdued. The ego is made to serve the truth of oneself. Wow. It only gets sick when it starts to believe through our mind stream that it's real, that I am this woman, this is my name, these are my parents, and that's the final reality. And that's miserable. That's bondage, mm. psychological bondage. Mm. And so the ego itself is happy to be exposed as a thief because then it can be its true job, which is serving the truth of oneself, wow. which is reflecting it in, in the uniqueness of each human being, each, each being hmm. everywhere. Hmm. So there was a book uh, called The Ego is, is the Enemy. You, you respectfully disagree with that. I respectfully disagree with that, yeah. It can be, but it needn't be. Mm. Mm. Awesome. Now, when I asked you in the beginning of this chat, uh, what are you excited about? You told me things you're excited and so you said some things you weren't excited about. Yeah. And my next question is, do you do you worry about anything? Are you worried about the future? Is there any anything that you're not too fond of that's happening in the world and and what do you feel is the is the solution maybe i have a pessimistic streak Me too. in my ego or yeah. my persona and so i i see that there are a lot of huge changes that have happened and are happening 
And some of them are obviously horrible, like a, a new war is obviously terrible, or somebody getting killed unnecessarily is obviously terrible. Some of them we don't know, like uh, Eli showed me this chat bot that is just Chat GPT, AI. yeah. You know, it's like, he asked it to make a haiku about Gangaji. No way. And it did. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, wow, I don't even get that. And I don't know if it's good or bad. Mm. I don't know if... So there are some things that are, I just am in wonder at, the, the possibility of both good and bad. And some of the old things, you know, injustice and starvation and homelessness that have been with us as humans. And the human animal I worry about because it seems to be a very aggressive animal that is very territorial wow. and will do anything wow. to acquire more territory at the risk of the whole planet. Mm. Wow. But I also see, you know, that there are there is something so true and steadfast and filled with love in those who care. And they are they are everywhere. And so there's good news and bad news. And as a student of history, I, I tend toward thinking the bad news. I mean, as you know, because you're a student of history, you know that empires fall and people suffer and then maybe the new empire is worse. And, and so there's a huge unknown in terms of the, the lila or the play of this human experience on this planet. So I wouldn't say that I'm a hopeful person. And I'm not, I don't live in my pessimism, but I'm concerned. I would say that, maybe uh, not worrying, but I'm concerned. And, and I'm also happy that so many people are, so many more people, more and more, are conscious of the necessity for concern and are asking how they can best serve a better world, a better place for their children or a better place for their grandmothers. So I wouldn't quite call it hope, but I, I have a sense of possibility. Yeah, yeah, and I it's got It's not you. over yet. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we always, uh, seems like humans, we always try to beat the clock, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, but I, think, <laughs> I think the work, the, the, the work that you've done, um, the well, play that you've, you've been graced um, with is is the solution because when we look at all the problems in the world they're all they all come from this thing the mind mm. they're all mind mm. stuff and so what you share is to lessen the attachment or totally actually totally detach and find your true your true essence which is not this mind and so you don't have you don't have to be a slave to it that's right in fact to discover that you have to put down your shield and your spear you know, your club and your gun, you have to be willing to be open and exposed and surrendered to even ask a question, who am I? Or what is true? Or what is this life for? Mm. Mm. I love you so much. I think this was a great, uh, great primer for people. I ask every guest, uh, play a game. And this game, it's it sounds like it's an absolute game, but you don't have to give absolute answers. You can just give your best answers. And they, funny enough, the game is called The Best. And so I'm going to ask you a few of what your best are. What was the best advice you've ever been given? Oh, well, I've already given that away. Papa G told me to stop, be still, 
Mm. Best book you've ever read? Oh my God. I, I'm a book reader. <laughs> I love books. I have a range of books. <laughs> Maybe War and Peace. Okay. But I also like very straight laced books like Middlemarch. You know, I have mm, a range. Okay. I like books. Yeah, me too. I'm a book books lover. Books are the best. Yeah. <laughs> What's the best investment you've ever made? Oh, I think uh, moving to San Francisco in the early 1970s. Best time in your life? Oh, you know, truly, it's right now. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. My final question, Gangaji, is, is it's the, I call it the magic wand question. If you could wave a magic wand at the earth and tomorrow when you woke up in the morning, whatever wish that you would ask for through that magic wand was granted, what would that, that wish be? That all being be happy. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time here. Where can people, um, if they if they want to know more about you, or I know you you um, have retreats and courses and stuff like that. Where can yeah. people learn more? Well, the website g a n g a j i dot org. That's that's where I go to find out where the next meeting is, <laughs> next retreat, and their their online programs. And yeah, I, I'm very happy that in this era we're able to connect with people like this because mm. I, I feel this is an intimate meeting you know and yet we're well we're miles away but we could be on the other side of the earth and still be connected and really recognize that connection and that's the possibility mm. awesome gangaji.org okay beautiful well i hope to see you I'm, I'm gonna come down to ashland and see you you and eli um i'd love to love to connect again that would be great thank you so much for being here you look you look amazing you look beautiful when i when i saw that you were uh and you told me you just turned 80 i was like no that's no no incorrect because you, your your <laughs> energy your this the spirit your aliveness is is mm. so youthful <laughs> thank <Yeah>. you lucky life <laughs> awesome thank you Gangaji. thank you so much love you mm. love you <laughs>